0: Welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast where we take a look back at the 80s and 90s and wonder what the fuck has happened to us since then.
1: (laughs) Hey, I've only improved in age.
0: Well, that's you. (laughs) That's your (laughs) personal story. I'm Chris, your podcast host most likely to be making a living stripping with animatronic snakes by the year 2019 and soon be killed running through the streets of Los Angeles wearing nothing but a see-through raincoat.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm Seth Pearson, the co-host most likely to have seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. Watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the a Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. Time to die.
1: And I'm Becky. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the podcast host most likely to release several different versions of myself so that no one knows which version of me is the definitive Becky. <laughs> well,
0: that's very uh, futuristic of you, Becky. <laughs> Is this your Becky director's cut? Is it one is- of these a Laserdisc? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, in case you can't tell from that, uh, we are looking back today at the 1982 science fiction cult classic Blade Runner, right on time for Blade Runner 2049, which is coming to theaters October 6th, 2017. The so The years, years are very confusing. I'm so confused! Because <laughs> Blade Runner <laughs> takes place in 2019, so the sequel is technically being released before... The original movie even happens.
2: My head just. I'm exploded. sorry, I didn't. I wasn't told we would do math on this
0: podcast. Yeah, well, catch up. It's the future. <laughs> Got to be sharp if you're going to keep up with the replicants. But before we get to our main topic today, you guys, it's our one year anniversary episode.
1: Yay! Yay! we made it a whole
2: year without <laughs> Can killing you each other. Believe
0: that we are still friends. <laughs> Honestly.
2: We've not had one beef that has devolved into slap fights. We have not had any cutting. I mean, I haven't cut myself over this, have y'all?
0: <laughs> I mean, what just while we're recording. <laughs> Takes the edge off.
1: Have we oh, sure. agreed on anything? Like, <laughs> have all Many three times. have three of us agreed on something?
0: Yes. It was it Twister, the first movie that we did? <laughs> Nirvana. We all thought that was great. Okay. Uh Blair Witch.
1: We all like Blair Witch. Well, you have some problems, but...
0: We've agreed plenty of times. Alien. We all think alien. Alien. Alien and
1: aliens. Yes. Oh, election. And we all
0: hated Alien 3,
1: (laughs) Okay, there's a few where we all actually agree. Okay, sign There's plenty.
2: There have been plenty of instances where, where we've agreed and vehemently disagreed, but I've always felt like we've been respectful of each other's perspectives. And I think you guys are shit about Buffy, but...
1: I'll never respect Chris again for not liking Roger Rabbit, so...
2: No, I mean, let's be clear that you're both dead to me, but I value your contribution to the show.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah.
0: I would value it more if you liked Buffy
1: like Buffy not there every are some episode some
2: sacrifices I'm not willing to make I'm sorry
1: well
0: <laughs> we may get into some of that a little bit later for now I want to just uh, let you know that we have a little bit of an extra special treat for our listener yeah. or listeners if there are multiple of them <laughs> it's yet. just
1: Greg in the basement
0: <laughs> hi Greg <laughs> We're going to have a little bonus segment sharing our overall thoughts on a year of podcasting and the return of a playtime, which (laughs) uh, I can pretty much guarantee Becky and Seth will not enjoy. But (laughs) I have not missed (laughs) playtime. I didn't think so. We
1: were planning on doing like a game with every episode until we started just talking for two and a half hours (laughs) and there was no time. (laughs) We
0: thought we actually needed like things to. do on the show, and it turns out that just yammering on is plenty fine.
2: You guys, it was really unpredictable that we would have the capacity to ramble the fuck on and on. Uh, Yeah, we didn't need segments.
0: Well, our games also tended to revolve around trivia, and we realized that we all read Wikipedia, so (laughs) it was kind of difficult to keep that going. We should
2: get a stranger off the street if we do this (laughs) in future episodes.
0: I mean, we could. Uh, so we do have a couple of new reviews of our podcast uh, this episode. Our first new review comes from Eclise
2: E-C-L-I-C-E on iTunes. Um, the subject is totally worth
0: adding to your podcast lineup. Five stars. It should actually be your entire lineup. No other podcast <laughs> may be listened to. Uh, honestly, we want to be your one and only
2: The review reads, I started to listen on the Roger Rabbit episode after rewatching the movie. I was hooked after three minutes. I loved those fly-on-the-wall type podcasts where you feel like you were listening to friends, funny friends, talk about the pop culture I remember. Each host brings a perfect personal opinion and makes for some fun back and forth. Looking forward to cycling through the library and adding it to my normal rotation. Of Never Not Funny, Comedy Bang Bang And Alison Rosen is your new best friend Not plugging them (laughs) She says (laughs) Not plugging them But if you recognize those shows You will love this one Five out of five for sure
1: sure. I like being in that company So thank you for mentioning those podcasts They are very funny
2: That's excellent company Thank you Eccles for your excellent review And for listening to the show
0: Yes we have one more review
2: That Becky (laughs) does not want to read
1: (laughs) I don't not want to read it. I'm sharing
2: the wealth. Oh, no, you opted out.
1: I'm drinking wine.
0: <laughs> she likes to sit back and drink wine while we say nice things about her. Mm. The next review comes from Otherwise Law Abiding. and this. <laughs> what have Wait, you done? What are they doing? <laughs> what are they doing? I don't know. Oh. I think that's a deeper mystery than we, we have, to, have time for. We have to search the context clues. We will send a Blade Runner after them to find out. <laughs> <they are>. <laughs> The title of the review is Lots of Fun, and it is five stars. The review says, I love listening to these three discuss music, TV, and movies of my youth. The podcast is always funny and intelligent. I've really enjoyed reliving these 80s and 90s pop culture moments along with the hosts while getting modern and sometimes biting perspective. I'm about the same age as the hosts, which makes it all the more fun. Two thumbs up.
2: Yay! Yay. thumbs
0: and stars.
2: You can still rate and review us if you don't have thumbs. We appreciate that, too. <laughs> It's really the five
0: stars we're into. I like five stars and two thumbs. I want I want it all.
2: <laughs> well, you're choosy. But also, there was a very kind review as well. Thank yes, you thank so much. thank you.
1: Otherwise law-abiding, I hope the cops never catch you. Yeah. <laughs> on that one thing you did.
2: I hope you outrun the fuzz. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Hopefully Harrison Ford does not shoot you in the back while you run down the streets of Los Angeles in a see-through raincoat. Yeah. So Blade Runner takes place in the year 2019. It's based on a book published in 1968, and the movie was released in 1982. So this is a vision of the future imagined by many different people. And so uh, my random question for you guys today is... Uh, What was your vision of the future when you were a kid? Did you see flying cars and all that? Or did you have any concept of what the future would be like? And how does the actual future hold up for you today? (laughs) Is it everything you wanted and more?
1: That's a hard question. I feel like I didn't have any idea. I guess I didn't really think it'd be like Back to the Future 2 with flying cars and things like that. I have no idea. I would expect some of the social issues that you know of my youth i would expect them to be resolved i don't know i guess i'm happy that like gay marriage is legal um mm-hmm. and certain things like that i guess i'm happy about that i don't know i maybe i would have thought that pot would be legal by now or <laughs> i don't know yeah i never really imagined jumpsuits or anything i never really thought about it
0: So, like, C-minus for the future?
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's a hard one. The future. Does it hold up? (laughs) I never thought well beyond, like, I think that I would only think about it in concepts of me, not society. Mm -hmm. So I'd wonder, like, what job will I have? Or... What will I look like? What husband will I have?
0: What robot will I have, <laughs> have cleaning my house?
1: Um, yeah, I never really thought about society, to be honest. Just just visions of me.
2: Okay, a new right Gary album. <laughs> I watched a lot of movies uh, growing up from a very young age. A lot of shows. I noticed starting at a very young age that the only visions of the future that we got to see were dark ones, were dystopias. Whether that was, uh, like, Star Wars, and you were facing down the Empire and, like, a Death Star. Uh, Whether that was Star Trek, where, like, you're on a scientific mission, but you still have to be at war all the time. Even at their best, like, all of the visions of the future that pop culture gave you, were ones where the bad guys had already won, and had won for a very long time, and it was up to the ragtag team of blank to save humanity. Like, save humanity or, like, find a new planet to live on, or any number of other kind of desperate last-ditch efforts. Similar to you, Becky, the only visions of the future I had for myself were kind of very individually based. But I also don't think that it's an accident that we don't really get raised to have long-term visions of the future for society that aren't about superheroes who will dash in and rescue us, or about fighter pilots, basically, who launch a bomb in the right place and save the galaxy like it's it's one or the other
1: we don't see utopias too often because they're not as dramatic as dystopias
0: like so yeah something would have to go wrong for there to be a movie yeah (laughs) in a utopia
2: I don't think that the efforts of humans coming together to make a functioning and compassionate society would be any less dramatic than the results of evil people coming together to make a society that oppresses everyone but themselves and that exists only to profit themselves and make themselves more money. But we only see one of those as the predominant vision of what the future could look like. And only one of those gets promoted as a mass entertainment product. I have many complicated feelings about this because I actually saw Blade Runner when I was really young. And it's always been, for me, one of the kind of high points of science fiction and one of the things that brought me into really liking science fiction. But it was also really clear to me from the start that I didn't understand like whether it was a realistic vision of the future, but I was really clear on what kind of vision of the future it was, and it was not a hopeful
0: one. Yeah, not great. Mm. <laughs> I would like to read to you from my uh, school journal of <laughs> April sixth, nineteen ninety-five, in you know, which oh. I predicted the future.
2: That's You're amazing, like, President <laughs> Trump. Oh <my> God! <laughs> from the time machine, from the time capsule, we have
0: Baby Chris. So uh, I guess this is a list of things we won't use in the future that I started this entry with. Telephone, books, TV, radio, calculator. Which Mm -hmm. I'd like to say... Or basically all a different thing now. Now it's all just like a smartphone.
2: Oh, yeah. I was going to say, we don't use those only because they are all the same thing now. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah.
0: Go with me. Seriously. Can
1: you can you read my palm now? <laughs> yes, I can. Did
0: you give stock tips back then? <laughs> I had a little bit more of a prediction as well. It went on to read, probably almost all of these things will be used on computers, Everything will be on computers almost, and many things will change for the better. Maybe technology will stop pollution, deforestation, and poaching somehow.
2: well oh, you went a little bit astray on that last point.
0: <laughs> so I think you can tell for first of all that my teacher at this time was very uh into the the rainforest <laughs> and environmentalism. Poaching. So that was uh probably definitely like on the forefront of what I was thinking about as a world problem. Well, and again,
2: a, a lot of faith in technology to solve our problems.
0: Is there an app for solving poaching currently?
1: I mean, is awareness there for that? awareness <laughs> no. through social media?
0: True. So, I mean, I still kind of think that technology will solve those problems, but the way I think it'll do it now is that AI will kill us all.
2: <laughs>
0: and then no one can poach anymore. Oh, good.
2: Yeah. All those humans are finally out of the way. Yeah. I think it's important to note that the only problem technology solves is
0: humanity. <laughs> yeah. It'll just be our self-driving cars. They'll all of a sudden just drive off a cliff. Like, one oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's the Thelma and Louise app. <laughs> 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 this feels like a Black Mirror episode.
0: Uh, very appropriate. <laughs> Again. Yeah. So like Seth, I did kind of notice when I was thinking about this question that we have pretty bleak looks at the future in pop culture and not a lot of contrast to that. And I mean, you could imagine there could be some other kind of a story taking place in a future society, but it usually seems like it's all about oppression and...
1: Well, I think the basics of all of these like science fiction dystopia type movies are they are taking... A problem we have present day and it's pretty much like a cautionary tale like if we we don't get the solved now this is what it's gonna look like down the line mm-hmm. like it's gonna be that bad and it's gonna lead to this well
2: but see there's also a component to it that i think feeds into what we're talking about in terms of like our individual kind of visions of the future because even sci-fi at its most kind of um, combative against the empire or whatever the bad guy is. The solution is always individual people and their own like effort and gumption, or maybe like their teamwork, like their their you know, fighter squadron or whatever it is. But
0: yeah, there's often a hero character.
2: Yeah, but the solution is never like let's all build a functional society. Let's have a good justice system where, like, everyone who has a disagreement and a problem with each other, like, can get actual justice. Like, the solution is never in systems and in, kind of, collective power. It's always about, like, individuals and their individual heroism or, like, their, like, uh, sacrifice in battle, like, whatever it is. It's just kind of never about imagining collective solutions to problems. It's always these situations where it's kind of individual people against these, like, nameless, faceless systems that are the bad guy.
1: It's hard to do that in a movie, because usually you focus on one person or a small team in a movie. So that's Oh, that's true. Hard. It's hard
2: to do it in life, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but And I think it's a reflection of that. Like, the fact that even politically, it's difficult to think about solutions to problems in ways that aren't just like, well, I can recycle, I can do that. That's an individual thing. But that doesn't stop deforestation.
0: I used to think that it would. (laughs) (laughs) I do kind of wonder if there's kind of a cost to these depictions of dystopias that has people not trying to even solve some of these problems because we're just so used to kind of accepting that everything in the future is going to be bleak. So why bother? I absolutely
2: think there is. I think it's been generational. And I think there is like energy in a lot of other ways and places, especially from people are from our quote unquote generation, you know, that have advanced the arguments in other ways. But I do think that the way that pop culture set up such a, an individually focused, selfish framework for thinking about problems that are political, the environment, and it's kind of like, that's a political problem. That's not just a personal problem. That's not just a product of personal choices. The ways that our pop culture talks about that, though, and the ways that our pop culture talks about the potential to do anything about it have really kind of narrowed our kind of collective
0: imagination. Yeah. <laughs> like, the heroes are often triumphant at the end of those movies, but I think seeing how bad the societies are around them is what you take away more than, like, that individual triumph, is that, yeah, in this story, like, Jennifer Lawrence manages to take down the capital but the world got to that place anyway so i think it's kind of like well when when we get there maybe someone'll have to step up
1: i just remembered a movie that is almost like utopia and then something like there's an underbelly it's a minority report where actually crime has been solved mm-hmm. so it's almost like a utopia but there's like something in it that proves that like oh actually that came at a cost to well have that and again pro- that that's that's
2: also That in itself is a movie about a system that's gone the wrong way because their system of resolving crime has led to them finding like these supernaturally powerful, like uh, psychics basically, and solving crime but at the expense of justice.
0: And like by imprisoning those precogs, and there's like Suggestions that they are like kind of abused in that su- that situation. Minority Report, based on a Philip K. Dick story. So good segue into <laughs> another
2: Dick adaptation.
0: <laughs> into Blade Runner, which is based on the uh, novella Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Which you can kind of see why that was not <laughs> made the title of the movie as well. It's a bit of a mouthful. You're gonna have to make some changes when you adapt that Dick.
2: <laughs>
1: we're hanging our heads
2: (laughs) (laughs) but no one can see it Seth has a dick on the brain right now Seth my mom listens to this podcast (laughs) wash your mouth out I think all of our moms listen to it at this point
0: (laughs) do we have other people? it's just our moms leaving various
2: five star reviews every week (laughs) (laughs) we have an audience of moms and I'm proud of it you look down and you see a tortoise Leon it's crawling towards you tortoise? what's
1: that? You know what a turtle is of course same thing i've never seen a turtle but i understand what you mean
0: you reach down you flip the tortoise over on its back leon do you make up these questions mr holden or do they write them down for you the tortoise lays on its back its belly baking in the hot sun beating its legs trying
1: to turn itself over but it can't not without your help but you're not helping what
0: do you mean i'm not helping i mean you're not helping Why is that, Leon? Blade Runner was released on June 25th, 1982. It had a $28 million budget. Opening weekend, it made $6.2 million for a domestic total gross of $27.6 million. So it was kind of a flop.
1: I am really surprised. I am really surprised. I thought it was a hit. Like, just, I just, I guess I made that fact up (laughs) that it was a hit.
0: Not just you. I mean, I think the collective memory of it is that it's a classic, but it took a long time hmm. to get there. It was nominated for two Oscars, Best Art Direction and Best Visual Effects. Lost to E.T. on that one. Wow. Kind of have to say Blade Runner probably should have had Yeah, that I think they were robbed. There were also a lot of negative reviews of the movie when it came out. Um, hmm. Some of the things that were said were, uh, it's like science fiction pornography Blade Crawler might be more like it. <laughs> and I muddled, gruesome mess. So it definitely was not like heralded as a classic either by audiences or by critics back then. It was, Like there are a lot of movies that come out that critics love, but then just don't find an audience and later will become classics. But this was not really one of those movies either. Um, this was a movie that, uh, I mean, it stars Harrison Ford, who had just come off of. Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. So you really couldn't find a more, like, Mm -hmm. iconic movie hero to cast in a movie in which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but the character is not a typical hero. It's kind of playing with some of the archetypes of a typical hero, but it's definitely a much darker film and asks a lot of complex moral questions. So I think a lot of audiences were going to it. It was a summer movie, like, expecting it to be...
1: More like a, you know, chase Star Wars kind of adventure... Yes. ...caper. Like a or re-
0: like a dirty Harry in space. It's on Earth, actually. It just feels like it's space because yeah, it's yeah. really dark. Yeah, mm-hmm. fair yeah. enough. Yeah.
1: There is no daylight in this movie,
0: correct? Correct. (laughs) Like,
1: I don't, I don't think I can think of one scene with like daylight.
0: There's like sunsets sometimes, but there's no actual like. Well, but then it's
2: also not necessarily clear what time of day that is. Yeah, if this is a world like like contaminated with nuclear fallout or something, Mm -hmm. you know, it could well be that 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 was daytime. Probably now.
0: So this was Ridley Scott's follow-up to Alien, which we discussed uh, several episodes back and all thought was really incredibly directed and th- the art direction in mm-hmm. particular was notable from that. And so this definitely like carries on that mantle. Um, but again, people were kind of expecting Alien again. And even though that's a pretty dark movie, it's still kind of a crowd-pleaser, fun movie in a lot of ways. And this movie is a lot less straightforward than that movie is like this this movie is we'll get into it, but it's it's very <laughs> I'm just making hand motions because I don't even know like how No, to it's like
2: it's a whole lot more. <laughs> yeah. In a lot of ways. It's a whole it's, lot of movie. It's a whole lot.
0: Seth, you mentioned that you saw this when you were young. <laughs> As is the title of our podcast. Yes, indeed. Um, if this was
2: not a taped VHS, I will be damned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, I can't remember. But honestly, like it was just it was that, or my cousin just like bought a VHS of it. It was just around at several households in my youth, so I don't remember like exactly what age I was. It was probably closer to ten or eleven. When I was growing up, like people would talk about that as like good sci fi. And I was into sci fi in terms of like Star Trek The Next Generation very, very early on. Blade Runner was kind of a natural extension of that. I probably saw Alien. After I saw Blade Runner, I'm not sure exactly the order of that, but I've rewatched Blade Runner a bunch of times over the years. I think that was another one of my freshman year film school essay topics. It's been a movie that I kind of grew up with and appreciated different layers kind of as I grew up.
0: Becky, what about you? Did you see this as a child?
1: I had not seen this movie until after college. I had never seen it before. (laughs) and then I I think it was re-released in theaters or maybe it was just Los Angeles and they had like screenings from time to time of classic movies and I went to it and I fell asleep during it (laughs) Um, how
0: far into the movie did you fall asleep
2: I don't remember
0: (laughs) the
1: trailers (laughs) and then I watched it again for this podcast that's my experience with Blade Runner
2: did you fall asleep watching it for the podcast
1: I'll let you know later
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh oh Oh, no. <laughs> um, actually, I'm, my story with this is pretty similar to Becky. Is I only ended up seeing it maybe about five years ago for the first time. I think I just Did bought it. Did we see it, it
1: together? No, <laughs> okay. I didn't see it in theaters.
0: <laughs> I just bought it on DVD because the director's cut was there, and I knew it was a classic movie, and it was pretty inexpensive. I forget how much, but $5. So I watched it, and I just had watched it that one time. And preparing for this podcast, I remembered sort of the visual aesthetic of the movie pretty well and some images, but I didn't really remember very much about this story or even I would have remembered if I had gone crazy for this movie when I first saw it and I know that I didn't, but I I didn't really remember any specific likes or dislikes about this movie. Although I will say since first watching this movie, I have read a couple of Philip K. Dick's books. And so I have a little bit more of an appreciation for his kind of style, writing style and the kinds of stories that he tells. So I knew a little bit more what I was getting into this time just from having read those. So Philip K. Dick was not a very big fan of Hollywood in general and had pretty negative experiences with the studios. This movie was put together without him even really knowing about it, and he was no. kind of pissed off. This movie was a little contentious behind the scenes. Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford did not get along. Harrison Ford and Sean Young did not get along. The screenwriters were mad that bad voiceover was added without their input. Mm. The financiers and the filmmakers did not get along and at one point the crew had a hundred t-shirts made that read Yes, Governor, my ass, in response to Ridley Scott's comments to the press that British crews were easier to work with and just did whatever he said and the American crews weren't cutting it. So
2: that was the most hilarious one to me. Yeah. It was like everyone has a, a beef in every direction. <laughs> yeah. And Ridley Scott has specific beef with Every single person on the entire
0: crew. Mm-hmm. But Daryl Hannah had a great time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't have a great time
1: with Daryl Hannah? Honestly,
0: Anna? honestly. Yeah. She did like break her hand or something during this, so. In like five places at once. Yeah
1: she really doing those flips, or was that a stunt double? She
0: could do those flips, but then she had to have a f- stunt double do them because she broke her hand.
2: Aww. And it was they, a male stunt double.
0: Yeah, those were her idea to even add into the movie because she's mm-hmm. like, hey, I can do flips. And then <laughs> she broke her hand. Uh, you can actually see it in the movie. It's when she's running away in the first scene that she's in, I think. And she like kind of crashes into the van, and it even looks oh. weird in the movie. You're like, whoa, that doesn't look like exactly how that was supposed to go. So let's get into the movie. What did you guys think of it now?
2: For me, like, what really came across this time around is just how insanely detailed a vision this is, like, how ornate the world is that Ridley Scott sets up. And also kind of how Baroque and theatrical it is. It's a very kind of Terry Gilliam-esque movie, too. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's got an appreciation of the absurd and theatrical, and I feel like that comes across also a lot in the Asian elements that it borrows, and the way that it kind of weaves that into its vision of the future, I really enjoyed re-watching it now. Not only having like a better sense of like politics and the kind of world that it's talking about, but also just in terms of knowing Ridley Scott's work, kind of knowing what to expect from him it was interesting seeing this and uh, the ways that the characters are pretty similarly open-ended to like the characters in aliens there aren't definite heroes or villains to be found really anywhere
0: what about you becky sleeping <laughs>
2: <sighs> well, <how good?
0: laughs> oh becky wake up
1: <laughs> oh i don't like this movie <laughs> <laughs>
0: Why not? <laughs> Would you like to elaborate or is that is that your contribution to the episode?
1: I like the neon and I like a lot of the art direction. I like a lot of the vision, like aesthetic. You know, mm-hmm. the Japanese lady on the, like the side of the billboard. Like, the, like
2: um, Geisha.
1: I just find it really dull. And the acting I don't even really like. And the direction feels off. I don't like the dialogue. I didn't feel like there was really any dialogue in the movie that stood out to me as being, like, a good line or interesting. Yeah, it was just, there was a lack of energy that I wasn't expecting. I really was kind of expecting a little bit more of, like, a caper, like, what I said. Like, maybe I was expecting.
0: Is there going to be running in this Blade Runner? Or just like
1: more thought, like thought provoking, but like still like actiony, and it was a, a noir movie. Yeah, you know that's fine. I wasn't really expecting that, but that's fine. But I just felt like there was just this like lack of energy in 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 every respect. It was a real hard watch for me to get to the end.
0: What do you think of the story?
1: I, it feels like all over the place, and like. I was, like, drinking a little during the movie, you know, relaxing. Not drunk, you know, like, not, like, out were of you, my head. Remaxing
2: was... and relaxing?
1: <laughs> it was maxing and relaxing, all cool. Um, but, like, at some point I was like, wait a minute, did I just miss something? Like, it, I've had to, like, rewind it twice because I was like, I don't get the sequence of this movie. And... I just felt like something is off and I really can't tell you what because I didn't want to rewind it a third time. I just was like, okay, I'm just going (laughs) to keep watching. And just something about the sequence of this movie, it was like really hard to follow where, why he's there, who's that, why is he chasing that person or following that person? And I had to like go on Wikipedia and be like, okay, like follow the plot. I don't know why I couldn't like follow it clearly Um, I don't know how much of that is me or that's just the movie, but like some of the shots just ended really abruptly where I'm like, that was a weird shot. Like that was left in the movie, like just a lot of that over and over. And then, and I mean, I could keep going, but it's more specific than that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I was a little, I was disappointed because I really, I want to see the new one. I really like, uh, what is it? Denis, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. Um, I really like the director. I like, you know, Ryan Gosling. I like Harrison Ford, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's why I wanted to revisit this, and I was, like, disappointed.
2: Mm.
0: So I started reading the book that it's based on, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yes, I got that right. Yes, (laughs) yes, you did. Uh, Because I like Philip K. Dick, and I was curious about, I guess, how similar or different it was. And it it turns out the movie's very different in a lot of ways but there are a lot of like themes in the book and i will say i didn't have time to finish it cuz things are crazy <laughs> but uh even just having read like the beginning of the book set up the world of the movie for me so much better than i think the movie on its own does and it's a movie that i honestly feel like you have to watch several times and not look at your phone like you have to really be like watching every thing on the screen in order to really kind of appreciate it. Because I I think I had the same experience that you did the first time I watched this movie is that I kind of appreciated some things about it. But on a story level, I think a lot of things kind of eluded me and I didn't emotionally connect to it. And it does kind of require you to fill in a lot of things on your own by watching it more times than one or reading the book, or I read uh, Future Noir, the book about the making of this movie, and reading that also explained a lot of, like, what the intent of different scenes was, because I watched the movie first before I had read either of these things, and then watched most of it again after, and I appreciated the movie so much more that second time, and I think also just because it's a movie that you really do notice more and more with repeat viewings. And I totally hear what you're saying when you think that things are disjointed and confusing, because I also kind of had that experience even watching it a couple of weeks ago before I started reading these things. But there is kind of a way that it all makes sense if you really like put in a lot of work Too much and work. Or, like, think about it. Yeah. But I mean,
1: you get one showing. <laughs> I guess two in this case. I tried twice. Yeah,
0: But I mean, that is, I think, very representative of also like how mainstream audiences reacted to the movie when it first came out. And it was only through it appearing on video and on cable, because this was right kind of at the rise of those things, that it was able to be rewatched by people and that it kind of got that fan appreciation because there were certain people who were really taken with it. But it was those people who were kind of willing to invest in this world and really like embrace it rather than than, like, people who are looking for a good summer movie and just wanted to, like, zone out for a couple hours.
1: Should we get to the specifics of things? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> I don't know. That's... Um. Okay, it takes place in Los Angeles in November 2019, which is 37 years in the future from when it was made. I mean, maybe a thousand more years would be more like it? Like, because that it bothered me that it didn't look like los angeles at all like it it just looked like another planet it looked like mars you know in 3019 or something like it
2: didn't i just think it's so optimistic that they think there's gonna be a 2019 it's just <laughs> precious to me
1: no but like i wanted 2019- i actually still
2: expect this to be what los angeles looks like in 2019 <laughs> we, yeah we still have yeah Honestly, we still got a year we've got a year like
1: i wanted there, I think it would have, like, affected me more that this is what the world is like now if there were some elements that still looked like Los Angeles, but it was all futurized. And it's and I think of the movie Her, that some of it was filmed in L.A. and some of it was filmed in Tokyo, and it was supposed to be L.A. So it, they, like, mixed it very well in that movie so that it made it seem futuristic, but still, like, I oh, I, re- I remember this part. Or I, I get I- it.
2: But there are elements to it that I think are very organic-seeming and that do seem like L.A. or, like, parts of L.A., Really? like either like what? Like, like chinatown but like just chinatown. Tokyo, yeah, but like, like
1: just that well
2: but then also like a lot of the like hollywood and highland like a lot of those more recent developments those kind of remind me of that kind of architecture and also like for me the, the gigantic billboards everywhere really sold it as being la
1: Yeah, like, I wanted him to walk down the Hollywood Walk of Fame and we see the stars, but there's names we don't recognize. You know what I mean? I wanted some element of today to show just how much has changed. The way that it's presented in the movie, it literally just felt like Mars. Like, didn't feel like Earth at all. And I felt like I would have connected with the world a little more if it was like, wow. Like, Minority Report has a lot changed, but you're still at the gap, you know? Mm -hmm. There's still, like, elements of real life so that you can see how much has changed, where there's a hologram greeting you at the gap. So things like that I wish I saw. It looks like it's Total Recall.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can understand that. I think part of that is that Ridley Scott was British and wasn't, like, an L.A. native, and so I don't think he was really concerned with that kind of thing. I think he wanted to really depict a vision of the future. I don't know how, like, specific L.A. was to him In that, like, the movie was originally going to take place, I believe, in New York.
1: But why 37 years? Like, just make it 137 years. I don't know, like, 1,037 years. My nitpicking, I just, it bothered me.
0: (laughs) No, that's fine, but also... I don't know, I feel
2: like that's just a specifically 2017 gripe.
0: Yeah, I mean, the point of the movie is that Earth is basically uninhabitable so i think that's why it's like so dark and i do kind of like the choice that la is known for being so sunny and not for raining all the time (laughs) and yet like we see that this la is dark and miserable and raining all the time and we're kind of like what happened like this world has really gone downhill for it la the la that we know to become this
1: i guess it's like if mad max fury road was only 37 years in the future it's like that can't happen in 37 years <laughs> you know what i mean like
0: i don't
2: know like even uh, if yeah. it was
1: unspecified i, I don't know. I,
2: I don't think we should say things like that's allowed i feel like this is like a i think by the time the this episode is
0: released <laughs> a dystopia. It, it,
2: exactly like we are really like courting danger here I do like
1: the production design and the cinematography, though. Anyway, yeah, his I, I attention do, I do like it.
0: to detail is yeah. incredible. And that's one of the things that...
1: For a space colony, it looks great. <laughs> 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 for, a, for a Chinatown space colony. It's on Earth!
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things... Like, he was so focused on some of the details. And there is incredible detail if you just, like, sit back and watch this movie and, like, look at everything in the frame is reimagined for... A futuristic society like the parking meters are different and a lot of them like the parking meter meters are a lot more like they are now where they had like green and red lights on them when you know and that wasn't a thing back mm-hmm. then so it's, it's kind of funny that that came out but that like the all of the magazine covers were changed to be you know something futuristic like He was really focused on that, and that's one of the reasons that Harrison Ford didn't get along with him is because he didn't feel like Ridley Scott was actually paying attention to, like, Hmm. his character and his performance because he was so obsessed with the world and creating that visual, which I think definitely pays off in that way. But I think there are probably story elements that got a little bit lost between different drafts of this movie because it was written by two different writers, Hampton Fancher and David Peoples. They were kind of played off each other a little bit and not, like writing it together. And there was a lot of like changes made to the story from like draft to draft. So I think that certain things did kind of get dropped or things that were obvious to the filmmakers weren't necessarily obvious to the audience. And and it does require a little bit of legwork to Yeah, I think it there
2: out. are a lot of things in this story that are kind of half told and not shown. Mhm. You know, it's not just that they did the, you know, show don't tell. They did like the kind of show off in the corner of this frame when you see someone's face and name on a screen. tell
0: a little, but not the whole thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it is like a thing that became a lot clearer to me when I saw it more times, but also I, I too read the novella that it was based on, and it took that to really fully contextualize the world and specifically these characters. But I also do think that Harrison Ford's performance really grounds this character a lot and i found it interesting the ways that the movie kind of hints at things the book treats differently
0: Mm -hmm.
1: i felt like i had a problem with they're not called robots they're called replicants yes i felt like i had a problem with the way the rules of the replicants and their behavior like i didn't really get a grasp on really what that is or like their rules like can they hurt someone or can they not are they made of human skin like or is it you know, like an alien, there's like a milky white substance in right, the yeah. robots or the androids. Um, but like, I didn't just get a clear sense on that, it, it felt kind of vague.
0: Yeah, I think the book is a little bit clearer on some of that. But I think that there are a lot of technical questions you could ask about how they're made. That It actually even looks like the sequel is going to address some of that stuff. But, like, it is kind of all in there, but it's just not necessarily very obvious. So you really have to watch it, you know, multiple times. Over or and over and over and over. <laughs> like, the main, I think, dilemma of the movie is you know, Harrison Ford, his job is to hunt these things down and kill them if they make it back to Earth. So he does that job. But like the conflict, I think for the audience watching it is that like, we don't know what they've done wrong, really. Or we don't know that he shouldn't kill them, but we don't know that he should either. And I think that's kind of the point is that Like, even his character is kind of uncertain about what is the difference between these replicants and humans, really. Supposedly, the difference is that they don't have empathy, but I think in this movie... You do like, especially Sean Young's character. Yeah. Like, she cries when she finds out she's not a human being. So ultimately, like, who's to say these ones should die and humans shouldn't? Who's to say humans are better? And I think there's a lot of relevance to that today. Like, looking at people not being empathetic enough to people who are different than them and wanting their class of people to be better than other people just because that's the way it's always been and that's what they were told. And other people are just trying to say, like, hey, I want, I want to live. Like, that's not so crazy, but, you so, know, it's just...
1: So do you wish that th- we had seen what the replicants did on the other planet, they w- or the spaceship, or wherever they were?
2: Well, so it's it, it said aloud at some point that they,
0: like, murdered dozens of yes. people.
1: <laughs> right, but did would it have helped to have seen
0: that? Yeah, they, they were supposed to show that. They ran out of... They had <laughs> massive budget problems with this movie, so they had to cut yeah. out a lot of things. Also, were just, So the,
2: like, that's the thing, is, like, the commitment to the detail of vision made them completely blow their wad on this
0: budget (laughs) right so like in retrospect it might have been better to show that scene than have like amazing parking meters (laughs) as daryl hannah walks down the street or something but
2: yeah
1: or hire the stunt double to do the the (laughs) flips that she didn't really need to do anyway
0: In reading the making of this movie, I did read a lot of things. That I was like, oh, that would have been really cool. I wish they had been able to film. Even things that were in like the original script that didn't make it into later ones. So, And I think that's part of the legend of this movie, too, is that there's so many different versions on DVD and out there in, in Yeah, theaters. I don't like
1: that. <laughs> I don't even like it with movies where they're like it's the x-rated version unrated I'm just like I just want one movie <laughs> give me the release the movie and that's the movie I want if you didn't do what you wanted to do then too late <laughs> you're out of luck
0: I mean I'm with you on that for almost <laughs> most cuz that's all just like a cash grab on DVD anyway like those are usually scenes that shouldn't have be there but there are movies like this like so the director's cut of this movie basically does insinuate that Harrison's Ford character is a replicant, whereas the original theatrical cut had very much less mm-hmm. hint of that. And that's still something that's debated. So I think it's interesting to kind of see different versions of the movie in that context and where it actually like changes the story from one way or another. And it's, I think this is a movie that is interesting and unique enough that deserves to kind of be looked at from multiple angles. So. For this movie, i'm I'm good with it. And especially the original version had like supposedly pretty bad voiceover that Harrison Ford delivered on purpose bad. to be bad so that they wouldn't use it and then they did. and uh, like super happy ending or something. Mm-hmm.
1: It makes sense. I mean, unless it's I mean, it's supposedly bad voiceover. I watched the directors cut as well. Um, like it was a Noir movie. So if he has a voiceover, that makes sense in that genre. But, yes, but I I guess in that version it was, it bad was just though. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um I didn't like the unicorn dream sequence that was cr- that was put into the director's cut that wasn't in the original theatrical mm-hmm. cut. It just felt crammed in there. It all of a sudden he has a dream sequence. It's about a unicorn and it's never it's never mentioned or he never has another dream.
2: Yes it is mentioned again.
1: Yeah, the end with the unicorn origami thing yes yeah but that's
2: which edward james almost also uh he does it at the beginning does what he folds the origami unicorn
1: yes i know but the dream sequence feels crammed in to make us feel a certain way at the end but like him having dreams and why unicorns like it just felt very like random it's not like he has a few dreams throughout the movie or that like what's his thing with unicorn like if it could have been anything it could have been like a walrus and then there's a walrus origami but the the point
2: is that he goes through the plot of the story um identifying these replicants and identifying the fact that they have implanted fake memories
1: but it just felt so random and like it just felt like haphazardly like thrown in there
2: but that's why it's random is because that's an implanted memory
1: but in watching the movie i was like okay here's a unicorn dream now and we're I just, mean, I we're what just you're looking at the unicorn dream and then the movie continues
0: so there's a big <laughs> theme of the book that is kind of in the movie but you don't really notice which is like the title you know is electric sheep so in this world There are kind of hints in the movie, but animals are mostly extinct, and owning an animal is a sign of power or wealth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it like most people are trying to own real animals, but some people will own animatronic animals and pass them off as real animals as, like, a status symbol. Hmm. In the movie, there are a lot of animal things, like the animatronic snakes that the stripper has, or the owl. Mm -hmm. So the unicorn is kind of part of that theme. But I do agree with you that that doesn't necessarily, like, carry through unless you know... Like, I didn't notice that animal theme when I first watched this movie either, even though it's a huge part of the story it's based on and was kind of supposed to be part of this movie and then just kind of got lost in different drafts. On the one hand, I totally agree with you because, yeah, it's it feels random, but once you put it in that context, you're like, oh, that's so cool. And...
1: <laughs> it just felt real ra- random to me. I don't
2: know. No, like, it, it is true. I think Chris's point is very valid that, like, it does take a glossary and a, an encyclopedia and a, and a map and a...
1: Yeah, and I don't like that in movies. I mean, maybe some people like things like that, but I want to just watch the movie and, then, and enjoy it, and maybe I have questions or, you know, thoughts about it, and then I'll watch it again and I'll see more things, but I need to enjoy it that first time.
0: This is, like, the ultimate movie where people just want to sit and watch it and watch different versions of it and think about it and debate it and not yeah. have a definitive answer. It's just, like, that movie, so I can understand why that's... Yeah not for everyone and this movie definitely wasn't for everyone but that's why i think it has the cult status it does do
1: you think that's on purpose though and deliberate or you think it's just because they kind of messed up then made (laughs) it again and then things are different so there's more things to debate and then i think it's
2: all of that at at once (laughs) yeah i think it's both
1: Mm -hmm. i mean because
0: they were putting such care into crafting this world like i think if it had just been a bad Movie that did. I mean, there were plenty of those movies from, mm-hmm. you know, the 80s where it's like, and they're not really worth revisiting. But this movie did have so much care and was based on a book that had a lot of thought. And then the writers of the movie had, like, they did a lot of different things, but they also had a lot of thoughts. And then Ridley Scott had a lot of thoughts. And I don't think all those ideas quite gelled together. I think everyone was kind of making a slightly different movie, which is why this feels very disjointed, is even the actors. Like, there's a lot of debate between, like, what Ridley Scott will say, like, the meaning of a character is, and then what, like, the... So, Rutger Hauer, who plays Roy Batty, like, the main villain, uh, like, has a completely different interpretation of why his character saves Harrison Ford at the end and like, Ridley Scott. It's endlessly open to interpretation and even, like, the people who made the movie are constantly reinterpreting it. And I feel like the question of whether or not he's a replicant has been, like, kind of a myth for a really long time. But I feel like even that, like, like people will just contradict themselves and, like, Ridley Scott will, like, one day be like, yes he is or no he isn't. And, uh, like, Harrison Ford will, like, not think he's a replicant, but Ridley well, Scott does.
2: So, wait, so I've read that Ridley Scott is very, very certain that Deckard is a replicant and that Harrison Ford recently eventually gave up on yeah. fighting that <laughs> anymore.
0: Well, Ridley Scott did say it, but I, I mean, I, I guess he had that idea in the movie, but yeah, like it wasn't like necessarily like all the writers and him like had decided that. It was just kind of like it was in some drafts and it wasn't in some drafts.
2: Well, and yeah, and I think that goes to our kind of broader point about how this is, this movie is in a lot of ways like a tone poem where like it doesn't matter as much what specifically happens where it doesn't matter specifically so much what happens in the plot, but it like what matters more is kind of the atmosphere, the tone of it,
0: mm-hmm. the
2: characters, and kind of following them along their way.
1: I felt like Daryl Hannah was the MVP of this movie, <laughs> and I felt like she brought an energy that was missing elsewhere for me. Like when she was on screen, I was happy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean I kind I remember feeling that way. I think the first time, she was the most memorable part of the movie for me. And I think that that's one of the interesting things about this movie is that the story is humans against these replicants, but the replicants are the characters that we actually kind of identify with more and like they they show they display more personality than the humans in the movie.
2: They're the characters that display humanity. Yeah. And that reveal that they're experiencing humanity. And that tortures them, like, as much as the fact that they're realizing they're not humans.
0: Like, I want to talk about my favorite scene, which is Zora running away from him, and then he shoots her in the back, and it's this kind of horrifying, it's, like, slowed down, like, there was no way that you can really watch that scene and kind of come away being like, yeah, he got her! Like, it's He's not an hero. action scene. Mm-hmm. It's like, he just shot a woman, and she's not, like, a defenseless woman, because she did try and kill him for a second, but only in self-defense, and...
1: Didn't she murder tons of people on a different planet?
0: <laughs> yes, but they're basically just trying to survive because they're being hunted down and killed, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like them or us, so you, you can't really blame them for choosing themselves. I can imagine a version of this movie where it's like they're super innocent and it's like this, treated as this big tragedy that they're killed, but I like the uncertainty of it, is that like maybe they do deserve to die and maybe they don't, but like it's kind of like a... Like, why does Harrison Ford get to decide that? Or why do humans get to decide that? Like, it just, it feels very arbitrary that they're being hunted down because there's, physically, you look at them, there's no difference. Like, you can't even tell that they are replicants unless you do this extreme test and, like, check their eyes for signs of empathy. So if you have to do all that work just to find out if someone's human, like, can you really make that judgment call?
2: Watching it this time around, Roy Batty's character was really fascinating. Rutger Hauer gets almost like a psychedelic kind of story in terms of his character. He realizes the arbitrariness with which he's been created and it's a really interest. like his story was really interesting to me this time around because so much of the movie is going into what it means to be human what it means to be conscious and alive and what it means to die and Roy Batty is a character fundamentally unwilling to confront death but that's of course kind of the point of the movie is to extract death from him mm-hmm. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe.
0: <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion.
1: I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Ten a Gate.
0: All those
2: moments will
1: be lost in time like tears.
2: I know that, like, his tears and rain line, like, that was the line that he made up. And a lot of the actors in this brought their own things into the movie. Daryl Hannah brought the eye makeup into it, um, and she did those flips. Um, But Rutger Hauer, like, brought a ton to this character um, in a way that I felt made him a lot better of a counterpart to Deckard, to Harrison Ford's character.
0: Yeah, in that way, I feel like this movie is kind of like a weird collaborative art project more than a movie itself. It's like everyone's kind of contributing their own thing. And I think that's part of what makes it so interesting, even though I do kind of agree that as a cohesive story that you're just going to watch once, it doesn't really totally cut it. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful mess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah.
2: My
1: favorite part is the creepy toy room with Pris. Is it Harrison Ford that? Like comes into the room.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. It is right, yeah.
1: and like she's hiding under like a see-through sheet. Yeah. Um, and I just there's a couple shots where the toys are just so creepy, and it's lit They're in so a certain creepy. way.
2: That was uh, that those moments and those characters were like the first things that stuck with me.
1: Yeah, I just loved the layout and the look at that, and like you know that she is not a toy, like, right. but she kind of is because she's like an, a robot. Um, but like you know that she's alive. And he's walking through, and there's just this great, like, dramatic irony in there. And I think that her death is, like, a little too abrupt. Like, mm. she just dies. Like, and the fight with Roy, I felt like, went on way too long. And her death was way... Was cut... Uh, her life was cut short way too fast.
0: Yeah, I kind of agree with that. If The part of this movie that I don't love is that whole chase sequence at the end between Roy and Deckard. I, it just kind of drags on a lot, and I don't, now that I kind of know some of the more thematic stuff, it works a little bit better for me, but I still, I don't know if that's, the, like, the most interesting way that this movie could have concluded. I think that there's probably something, like, it's it's a bit weird, like, for this futuristic movie to end just on buildings. I, I, I could imagine a better setting for that. Yeah,
2: like, I do think the last kind of act, basically, makes the existential angles of this a lot more upfront. but and like dialogue heavy and doesn't dramatize them as well. And I felt like there was definitely a better way that that could have been done overall and definitely should have been a way that brought in press. Cause that was a really interesting character. Mm. And it was also, I thought it was interesting the way that, um, her character like, uh, got in with the, uh, like kind of tinkerer guy who had all those toys who was working on like the biological
0: engineering for the replicants. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little upset that I haven't seen more Pris Halloween costumes out there because I mean really
1: I kind of dressed up as her for Halloween once but really I just put that makeup on. (laughs) Wait really? (laughs) Yeah. I thought you didn't (laughs) like this movie. Yeah. So you just I we needed a really quick costume, and I liked her eye makeup. Are you
0: making this up just because <laughs> no. you have a ha- Halloween costume for every single episode?
1: No, <laughs> I'm not making it up. I didn't. I don't even remember what she wore in the movie. I just liked her eye makeup, so I put it mm-hmm. on.
2: Becky, I'm going to administer a test to make sure that you actually uh. did this. You see a turtle lying in the street. <laughs> it has eye makeup on. Do you kill the turtle?
1: I'm making an origami of a sloth. Here you go
0: that's it you're a human we did it so i want to talk about sean young for a minute you mean katie perry <laughs> she looks like katie perry in <laughs> this movie that is a leap
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess and, yeah. Yeah.
0: poor sean young
1: crazy, <laughs> After, <Shawn> well, crazy <laughs>
0: but also poor because like the love quote unquote scene in this movie is oh, uh,
1: pretty oh my god that made me so uncomfortable
2: You
0: say you kiss me.
1: What is it i wrote down my notes um he makes her say kiss me throws her around the room and he's like mad and like forceful and, and like is this supposed to be sexy like i don't get it. it made me really uncomfortable
0: i think it's not i think well some of at least the filmmakers like were intending it to be creepy and unsettling but and- why
1: why would harrison ford why would Decker- they hated each other <laughs> So he was, like, doing that on purpose? Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, was he directed to act that way? Or he was just like, fuck you, really Scott, I'm going to make this creepy.
0: No,
2: so he did that impromptu. Okay. But she was not expecting that. He did not tell her ahead of time But he was going to, like, violently yank her around.
1: But, like, why would the character do that?
0: He because he doesn't, doesn't see her not. as human, I think. Cause yeah. She's, well, she's not, but it was really it's gross. it's it's it is it's gross. But I think it's supposed to be gross in showing again how like humans they're like kind of using these replicants for what's convenient for them, basically like treating them like humans at moments and then treating them like objects when it makes more sense for them. It- it is kind of one of those moments where I also felt like it transcended the movie and kind of felt like this poor actress being asked mm. to do this. Like she just seemed yeah, uncomfortable in there. That moment really made me uncomfortable this time. Yeah. And it's just like I know that there are a lot of movies, particularly from the 80s, that have kind of that weird, almost rapey seduction. But yeah.
1: yeah.
0: That has not aged particularly well in any of these movies.
1: No. You never said why it's called Blade Runner. Ah. And <laughs> you never will. <laughs>
0: It was based on a short story by William Burroughs that was called Blade Runner. And I don't think it was thematically similar. I think they just liked the word Blade Runner Mm because they knew that they couldn't call it Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep because that's not really a very movie-ish title.
1: I think they also, like, (laughs) I read that he was a detective, but, like, he was a detective for androids. So they're like, we need to come up with, like, a different profession title.
0: Yeah. And they also didn't want to call the androids androids, which is how they, like, ended up calling them replicants instead.
2: Yeah. And not Rick Deckard Replicant Detective.
0: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Starring Sean Young as... Yeah, one of the original titles of the movie was Dangerous Days, which I kind of like. I right, I've heard of
2: that. It, I think that's also the title of the making of documentary. Yeah, so I, I prefer I, that li- title. I like that title a lot. Like, I yeah. feel like Blade Runner, it seems like it should be so evocative, but because it doesn't really latch onto any particular part of the story, I do feel like it's there are Somewhat no mistitled. blades
0: and very little running.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, running
0: doesn't work well for anyone in this movie. You shouldn't run with blades. It's dangerous. I guess, What? What? has this conversation swayed you at all? Like, Do you find this movie more interesting now, or are you just kind of a no. not for me?
1: <laughs> not for me. Okay. I don't really think I'll watch it again. I'll watch the, the reboot, sequel, whatever you call it. Um, sequel, yeah. If it gets good reviews, I'll go see it.
0: I'm definitely going to see it. I'm very excited for it because I love that filmmaker and the trailer looks really good. And I'm kind of now into this movie, even though it it was really only through the research that I did for this movie that kind of got me there because I was kind of like more in Becky's camp. I mean, I appreciated a lot of the movie and enjoyed it overall, but I also like didn't quite know what a lot of it was about or trying to say. And then having done a lot of reading on it I now am kind of fascinated by this movie and like Seth said it's a mess it's a beautiful mess but I do think that it is really worth diving into for someone who's willing to kind of put that work in and that it does become more fascinating the more you learn about it and the more kind of time you spend in that world so I I am looking forward to just spending more time in that world in a more modern movie that will probably be a little bit more straightforward (laughs) plot-wise. And they'll probably, they
2: probably allocated their budget slightly better. (laughs) $20
0: million for parking meters and $5 million for everything else.
2: $10 million for the little windows in the tiny temples down over there. (laughs) I think I'm as excited as both of you to watch the sequel I really trust that
0: filmmaker, Monsieur Villeneuve. Yeah, that's why I call him that filmmaker, is (laughs) because I'm afraid of fucking up his name most of the time.
2: Fair enough. Um, But I really, really enjoy that world. I really enjoy those characters. And I enjoy um, the Philip K. Dickness of it that, like, the characters just existing brings up really relevant and uh, evergreen psychological questions and existential philosophical ideas and basic questions of what it means to be human and to me that's kind of the best of what science fiction can do um and and I do think this movie is definitely a mess, but it's a mess that I'm interested to see some more of
0: and I will say that as influential as this movie is in certain ways, I don't think there's any other movie that quite feels like this movie. Like, this is a very unique, it just has a very unique feel to it. And
2: I think the collaborative nature of it that you've talked about really is a huge cause of that. Because again, like, even down to Rutger Hauer and Daryl Hannah, like, they defined very basic things about their characters, and those totally affect the way that this movie plays out.
0: So we hope you've enjoyed our trip to 2019 and hope that things are slightly better by then than they are in this movie.
2: Fingers crossed. (laughs) I mean, I feel like those are the changes LA can expect.
0: (laughs) Well, I do hope that all the gymnasts wear press eye makeup.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) Even as the seasons change, nature moves within itself, its colossal power and its delicate beauty in perfect harmony, perfectly cosmically sane though periodically nature will in a kind of psychotic fit go completely randomly mad
2: holy fuck it's been a whole year of this thing (laughs) 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 The when we were young first anniversary special here's a clip show (laughs) <laughs> remember that time on when we were young when
1: can we just have clips
2: <laughs> we're gonna take a look back at our favorite moments from the first season of when we were young
0: when i first encountered the xenomorph <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> was that your
1: impression of me uh-huh buffy buffy buffy
0: so we're just gonna spend a couple minutes chatting about ourselves because we love ourselves and we've earned it because we <laughs> survived the whole year of 80s and 90s pop culture and Happy each other.
1: anniversary.
0: So I wanted to just like kind of chat about like the things in general that we have found surprising or kind of rediscovered. So first of all, what did you find the most surprising, either in a good or a bad way?
1: I think one of the biggest surprises for me was Nirvana's Nevermind hmm. as something that really affected me that I never really listened to. As an album, you know, Mm -hmm. I listened, I know the singles and I probably, I think I knew the whole album in pieces. Yeah. But never actually listened to all the way through, as well as um, in Utero. Did I say it right that time?
2: No. (laughs) (laughs) You still did not.
1: (laughs) That's probably the most surprising thing that I didn't have that much of an opinion before and and really found myself enjoying. And I think at some point I will revisit it. It's, I just know it's like hard
0: to listen to. I have been revisiting it a lot. Have you? Well, actually, a lot of like No Doubt as well is Mm -hmm. I have gone back to all of the things like Nirvana and No Doubt not Alanis, because that wasn't my thing. Uh I just got Apple Music, and I immediately went to, like, 1998, 1999, 2000. And it's probably because we've been talking (laughs) about, like, what we were listening to back then so much. Anyway, Seth, you have something that surprised you?
2: I mean, honestly, what's been the most surprising for me and the most rewarding has been connecting with people who've been my longest time friends in Los Angeles (laughs) um, about... I don't know. (laughs) They're strangers. They come in here randomly, and we record and talk for a while. I've known y'all, like, as long as basically anyone I've known in Los Angeles, and every time I sit down to record with you, I learn something totally different that I've never learned before about not just stuff that you liked, but, like, everything that shaped your taste and shaped the reasons why I became friends with you. Um... And I also, like, every time we record, it gives me a chance to, like, think about my childhood and the things that kind of were formative for me, um, even when it's not necessarily something that I directly saw when I was a kid.
0: Yeah. Just going off of that, I have noticed how much of our personalities were ingrained in us from so early on, you know? Like, so early. Our on. tastes <laughs> were there, like, pretty much all along. Like, there hasn't been that much that we loved back then and just were like, oh, that doesn't. Like, sometimes things socially don't hold up, you know? Like, chasing Ace Amy Ventura. did not hold up. Yeah. <laughs>
1: For me, chasing Amy did not hold up.
0: Yeah. There's occasionally those things, but it, even that is kind of based on the social changes since then. Like, I know you had issues with the filmmaking too, but it's more like the things that we liked back then, that was really just ingrained in us. And like certain tastes... It's, like, it's funny to chart, like, those tastes well, but as see, they I evolved.
2: I don't think they were ingrained in us. I think they were just things that we happened to catch early on that really resonated with us.
0: Yes, but certain things did and didn't. Like, we saw yeah. a lot of things, and not all of them are things that we're still discussing.
2: Right, but I think you're also right that the things that, like, worked then still work.
0: Yeah, for know? the most part. Yeah. So, for me, uh, it's Chasing Amy. I was... Also kind of surprised that that held up as poorly as it did for me. (laughs) And just like, to me, that movie kind of now is nails on a chalkboard. And I I didn't have any major expectations either way, but I was very surprised that That and just kind of Kevin Smith's overall aesthetic just really kind of did not hold up for me. And I was a little disappointed (laughs) because I really liked Dogma and some of his stuff. And now I was just kind of like, oh. As
1: a good thing and a bad thing, like something you're going to hate me for and love me for,
0: (laughs) Uh is
1: I have not had the desire to watch one more Buffy episode after watching (laughs) all, like, 15 episodes that Mm -hmm. we did for the podcast. Like, I feel like I'm done.
2: Never. Never, ever. I may...
1: throw on the musical again at some point but like i don't have a feeling to be like oh i've seen all this buffy gotta watch more buffy now mm-hmm. but i have re-watched Romy and michelle since the podcast because right. my husband had never seen it and he wanted to see it again and i was laughing even more uh the second t- the third time that i watched it mm-hmm. with my husband um so that's something that you can be happy about
0: <laughs> i am happy about that and i'm gonna ignore the thing you said before that <laughs>
1: What is your favorite fact about the other hosts
2: that, that you were happy to learn?
0: <laughs> Don't ask me
2: these questions. I'm not going to have a factual recollection here. <laughs>
0: So I've known Becky for a very, very, very long time, and in many ways I felt like I knew not everything about her, but I thought I had the highlights, you know, the greatest hits. There are so many, like every episode is something ridiculous that I can continue making fun of her for. I think I'm going to have to go with singing Colors of the Wind in the locker room.
2: Yes, definitely.
0: But there are, like, there's a tier of things that I could go through that would basically just be me recapping every episode of the podcast. Is it
2: Save the Whales? Save the Whales? Save the Whales? Save the Whales is great. Honestly, the the Halloween costumes has been just a gift that keeps on giving.
1: (laughs) I have yet to be a heroin junkie from (laughs) Trainspotting.
0: Well. Yet. It'll happen, I'm Sure. I mean, I, th- I think you now owe it to us to fulfill the rest of these episodes in Halloween costume form.
1: I'll throw some cotton around me and be a twister.
0: <laughs> what about you, Seth? Did you have a.
2: No, honestly, it's it's mostly Becky facts. Yeah. Beck's facts. I have
1: an interesting life.
0: You do. And I have no shame. <laughs> And that's you a don't. great combination. Well, what is your favorite revelation? Is it about you as well? Jisoo <laughs> yeah. G- Shakespeare.
1: <laughs> oh, I like I like all of the stories about Seth at camp. Yeah. And you're, was, I'm basically that's a saga. at camp all I'm really, the time. And I'm just really picturing your Superman
2: boots. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can, like, picture baby Seth in his Superman boots.
2: Yep, it was baby Seth, not young adult Seth. That's true. Not 16-year-old Seth, I've <laughs> <no. laughs> Gotta maintain that illusion.
1: And I like to picture you, Chris, at your reunion.
0: <laughs> not talking to any of my friends yeah. because I am too busy.
1: <laughs> Playtime? What's going on? What's yeah. Next? What's next?
0: Okay.
2: Enough so- reminiscing. <laughs> it's time to get down to play.
0: <laughs> so we are going to do a playtime. It is a death match.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh! I've been hoping for a not death between match on the, the people show.
0: on this show. Oh, oh. but oh. between the topics we have covered, I brought this knife for nothing. We are going to distill the subjects that we've covered and figure out which one wins in a March Madness style face-off. Oh. Jesus!
1: <laughs> All right, let's start. Let's do it.
0: <clears throat> so. The criteria are basically like one of these things dies and disappears from pop culture forever. So you're deciding which thing needs to stay. Okay. Train spotting, jagged little pill.
2: Oh, boo! <laughs> jagged little
0: pill. So, and it's two out of three. We all vote, and whatever's two, like that goes.
1: So we're picking which one stays. Yeah. Oh, I love train spotting, but it's gonna be jagged little pill gets to stay.
0: Okay, I would probably pick train spotting out of those two, but. Jagged Little Pill wins because you guys okay. did it. Um, Fresh Prince and Molly Ringwald's John Hughes movies.
2: Molly Ringwald, John Hughes movies. Fresh Prince.
0: Ooh, I'm the tiebreaker on this one. I think I might have to go with Fresh Prince too, actually. <laughs> to be honest, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or the films of Kevin Smith. <laughs> Kevin Smith.
1: <laughs> you did that on purpose. I did do you that on purpose,
0: but I can't control the outcome, so they'll be uh, more random. From-
1: Buffy. Yay.
0: I knew it would survive. Grudging Buffy, Jim Carrey, nineteen (laughs) ninety four, my best friend's wedding. Jim Carrey, nineteen ninety four. Boo. Fine. (laughs) Romy and Michelle's high school reunion or Don Bluth. Romy and Michelle.
1: Oh. mm, Oh. mm.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think Romy and Michelle did more for women than Don Bluth did for
0: animated mice. By volume, no, because there are a lot of animated Don Bluth. I'm going Romi and Michelle, so you lose. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> the Brady Bunch movies and A League of Their Own.
1: Oh man, what are you doing to me?
0: A, le- a League of Their Own. A League of Their Own. I'd probably go with Brady Bunch, but okay. Scream and Twister. Twister.
1: Twister. I don't care what you think, Chris. <laughs> I, loved, I
0: love I love Musom Twister, so it's okay. No doubt's Tragic Kingdom and the Alien franchise. Tragic Kingdom. That was quick. <laughs>
1: Seth. Well Darth Vader over there.
0: I'm going with aliens, so you can be the tiebreaker. Aliens. Okay. Bye, Gwen. Sorry.
2: <laughs> Gwen goes at the airlock now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Election or never mind. Nirvana's nevermind.
2: <sighs> These are hard. Oh, I know. Are we going
1: through every single episode? Oh my god, we're going to be here five years.
0: No, they're almost done.
1: Um, uh, election.
0: Really? Oh, never mind for me. Never mind. Blair Witch Project or Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Who
2: Framed Roger Rabbit?
0: Blair Witch. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I had a feeling. <laughs> Seinfeld or Labyrinth? Seinfeld. <laughs> Sorry, Chrissy. Some of them had to be a gimme. I assume you're going with Seinfeld as well. I would have to say Seinfeld. Disney pop singles, or now that's what I call music.
1: (laughs) Disney pop singles.
2: I'm going rogue. Jock jams. (laughs) That's not a
0: choice. I did not put that, or pure moods as a thing, because that would have been too obvious. Who would have picked those? (laughs) I'm going now that's what I call music. You? Pure moods.
1: That's not...
0: Disney pop singles, or now that's what I call music. Disney pop singles. Really? Yeah. He does not like Barbie Girl. <laughs> I do not. All right, now they're facing off against each other. Oh, God. God damn it. Jagged oh, Little so Pill or Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Jagged
1: Little Pill, obviously. Just right Jagged down. Little Pill.
0: <laughs> I had a feeling Buffy or Jim Carrey, 1994. Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey,
1: 1994. 1994. <laughs> oh. Take that, Buffy! Revenge oh. for Buffy! <laughs> what is it?
0: Romy and Michelle or a League of Their Own? League of Their Own. I say Romy. Oh. Romy and Michelle.
1: Is this is this interesting for you, audience? I think it is.
0: <laughs> I'm speaking for them. Twister or the Alien franchise.
1: Alien franchise. Alien franchise. Yeah. Only one and two though.
0: Nirvana's Nevermind or Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Who
1: Framed Roger Rabbit?
0: You are kidding me. No, Nirvana's. Nevermind. I
1: love that movie. You asshole. Nirvana's
0: Nevermind. Sorry, Roger Rabbit. Seinfeld, oh, you I not
1: sorry.
0: I am not. Pick. Seinfeld or Disney pop singles.
1: Seinfeld. Can I cut to the sorry. chase? It's going to be Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will trump Seinfeld for me.
0: For you, but there are two. We are distilling this down. Based on our mutual opinion. Jagger uh, Little Pill or Jim Carrey 1994? Jagger Little Pill. I don't have to ask, do pal.
1: I? <laughs> <laughs> Romy and
0: Michelle and the Alien Franchise.
1: Alien Franchise.
0: Tough.
2: Actually. Alien Franchise.
0: Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Nevermind and Seinfeld. Seinfeld. mind, feld You can't do that. <laughs> Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Really? Oh, I would have gone. Never mind. All right.
2: Evidenced by your <laughs>
0: <My> disappointment, whining. <laughs> jagged little pill. Alien franchise. Jagged
2: little pill. Jagged little pill. God damn it! It's gonna be Seinfeld.
0: Seinfeld. Jagged little pill. Seinfeld. Jagged little pill. Seinfeld.
1: Seinfeld won. All right.
2: I told you!
0: Seinfeld holds up. Strategic Seinfeld. What's the deal? It's Bob Gulger. <laughs> uh not that there's anything wrong with Seinfeld putting that. <laughs> right. All right, that was fun. Well, thank you. (laughs) It was fun for us. You guys probably have tuned out by now, but we'll just say thank you to the fans who have loyally supported us. There are a lot of people who comment on our social media that we know love and adore our words.
1: Yeah, I uh, have had a lot of friends from my past message me and they're like, hey, I love your podcast. Some of them I'm still friends with, but some people... I had no idea they were listening to my podcast. I've had some teachers, um, and it's just really nice to know that people are listening and they like our discussions. Yeah,
0: I think we are talking about a topic that people love to bond over, like their old favorite things, so... I mean, I, that wasn't necessarily something that we decided to do, but I think the way that that kind of builds fans of this stuff to come together, it's nice. <laughs> it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. Mm.
2: Well, and also, like I was saying earlier, like you can have a friendship with someone and not learn that much about what actually formed their taste and what, like were the first things that they saw that made them like a certain genre or a certain kind of music or any of that. And I love the opportunity to get to share that with you guys and also to share that with the world. And yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm hoping for many more year
0: after this. When we were young until we're very old. <laughs>
1: Next time on the podcast, we're going to be going to the gay 90s and revisiting The Birdcage and In-N-Out, as well as the famous episode of Ellen where she comes out called The Puppy Episode.
0: Yep, she's gay. Yep. And so is our podcast. Also true.
2: The When We Were Young podcast has been a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed us, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review of five stars or more. We'll read your review on the show, and we will love you forever. You can also suggest future episodes of the podcast on Twitter at www.yshow. I've been Seth Pearson. I'm Becky. And I'm
0: Chris. Not Pris. Chris.
1: Oh, Chris.
0: Yes. I know oh. you didn't recognize me with the like crazy makeup. On yeah. Everything and oh, while I was doing Chris. flips. Chris,
1: I've been calling you Chris this whole time.
0: Well, now you know.